Well, good morning. It is uh, my pleasure to be able to fill in for Troy this week. Um, I love Advent and uh, its meaning and, and, and remembering and thinking and reflecting. Um, and with that comes a certain amount of stress of trying to give Advent all the justice that it really um, deserves. Um, this morning we will be in Second Peter 3, 8 through 15. At first, this may not seem like a very Christmas-themed passage, but for Advent, this passage is really relevant for us today. This is Second Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness, waiting and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to this promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as your beloved brother Paul, who also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. Father, we are so grateful for your word and for your son. We pray this morning, God, that you would use these feeble lips to speak to your people. Once again, we ask this in your son's name. Not really Christmassy, is it? There are no shepherds. There are no magi. There isn't a baby Jesus. And it lacks everyone's favorite part of a Christmas-themed sermon, a lengthy genealogy. Advent, however, has two purposes. Yes, to look back at Jesus' birth, his first coming, and to remember and celebrate it, but also to help us to look forward to Christ's second coming. We look both ways to find the grace of God to help us in the present work we are now engaged. And today's passage has a lot to offer, not only the original hearers that Paul was writing to, but also us as we think about Advent and what it means. Much like we do, the original audience strongly believed and maybe even more so than we do, that Christ's return was imminent. Many early Christians were absolutely certain that Jesus' second coming would happen well within their lifetime. As time went on, this became a concern for them. Things were getting more difficult, and they were trying to figure out why it was that Jesus had not come. 
this became a way for some people to ridicule them. As verse 4, point, as verse four points out in chapter 3, they were being mocked by various people because of this. For many then, there was a degree of confusion and uncertainty. Peter here, in chapter 3, is, to, is trying to refine their thinking. He's seeking to exhort them to live out their faith. He's trying to encourage them. Unfortunately for us reading the passage, we don't perceive everything Peter is trying to communicate. That passage, in fact, might give us a sense of dread or fear or maybe even more uncertainty. Let's start this morning by looking at verse 8. Peter here is expressing that we don't experience time like God does. Some people are thinking that God is being slow or God is not going to keep God's word. As Peter points out, this is not the case. God's promises are kept on God's time, not ours. God's reason for this is pointed out in the following verse. God is patient, giving people a chance to repent. God's apparent slowness is then not something to doubt God's promise, but an expression of God's good character. God is far more patient and far more gracious than we can comprehend. But people, out of fear, were jumping to all these different conclusions, and Peter's response to them was kind of simple. Then we arrive at verse 10. At the day of the Lord, everything in the world will be put to test and exposed for what it is. The use of fire here is meant to express refinement, purification, not destruction. To us, when we think or hear fire, we think of a house fire, we think of a wildfire, we think destruction. This is why some translation, like the NIV, translated it the way that it did and used the word destruction. That, however, is not the idea Peter is trying to communicate. The Greek word here, lethesonitai, means testing, refining, purifying. Think of a forge making steel. It uses heat to refine and remove all that contaminates it. That is why the last phrase of verse 10, Peter writes that everything will be laid in the open. Fire will refine, and in the process, every sin and everything wrong will be brought to the surface. Just as fire exposes and removes impurities from a precious metal, here it is God's judgment to expose and remove all the painful and sinful things that corrupt God's good creation, leaving the good. This is redemption and not destruction for us, and it should be good news. Christ's second coming isn't something that should cause us fear. So now what? Now that Jesus is coming back, and that, and that is what his coming is going to look like, what should people do? Peter answers that rhetorical question here in verse 11. Considering everything that he just said, the followers of Jesus are to be holy and godly. In slightly different words, they are to be set apart and to be like Christ. This is one of the central messages of Peter's letters. The early church was in the in-between time. Jesus had come and inaugurated the kingdom of God, and they were to be faithful in building that kingdom until Christ's second return to finish what Christ started. 
Verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. After holiness and godliness comes patience in waiting for God to finish what God has started. And then finally, we reach verse 14 and 15. Peter's exhortation here further synthesizes what he's already written. While waiting for Jesus, the church has to be diligent, spotless, and to be at peace. In waiting for the second coming, Peter's command is for people to be at peace and to be like Jesus, who, as Isaiah 9-6 writes, is the Prince of Peace, who has already come. So the church was uncertain, afraid, and confused, but they didn't have to be. God was working things out. And more than, though, just having a sense of peace, they were to be at peace. Much like the uncertainty the early church experienced in this passage, it can be difficult for us to find peace now. As Peter reminded the church then, let this passage remind us again now, God has proven to be faithful in the past and God will continue to be faithful in the future. God will fulfill what God has promised to do. It may not be what we want. It probably won't be when we want. And it may not be easy. It may not be fun or enjoyable. But God will do it. As we remember... What the birth of Jesus, his life, and his sacrifice, through that, we see the character of God, and through a dark lens, we get a glimpse of the future God is working out. These statements and these truths are not meant, however, to simply make us feel good or confident, while they should. Peter wanted to encourage the church, but he also wanted to challenge them. This morning, we should not walk away feeling good, however good as that would be, but to be challenged. Peter suggests, because of the character of God and because God will bring into all things into account, we should be faithful, and as he writes, the church should be set apart to be like Jesus, to be peace. Let's stop right there, though. What exactly is peace? Peter here uses the Greek word irene. But there is little doubt someone raised Jewish and so ingrained with Jewish tradition would have thought of anything other than irene's close Hebrew equivalent word, shalom. When we think about peace, we usually think about the mere absence of conflict. Or sometimes we mean a certain sense of contentment. But shalom in the biblical context means so much more than either of those two things. It literally means wholeness. It means for something to be complete. For something to have shalom is for it to have all of its parts. It is like a brick wall with its many layers fitted in such a way the whole structure is secure. For us to be at peace is indeed to avoid conflict or have a sense of contentment, 
but more so to be complete in Christ. To have our full self built on faith, hope, and love. To fully and faithfully live out our faith and to do so with grace and humility. This morning I want to give us two thoughts to thinking about this analogy of peace, this analogy that our life is like a, a brick wall or a brick structure. Two things that might help us. First, if you're going to strengthen a brick wall or a brick structure, you need to carefully remove the bricks that are broken, the bricks that are destroyed, the bricks that are weakening your wall. So, so what are these bricks? It's sin. Our mistakes, our faults, and our poor choices weaken or destroy who we are. And as we hold on to those things, we will not be able to be complete. One of the best things that you can do to be at peace is to admit and confess your mistakes and your sins. First and foremost to God, but also to others. We need to actively repent when others who we have wronged. We need to take some responsibility for our actions. We're really good at finding the faults in others, and when it comes to look at our own faults, we are conveniently blind. And in a certain way, you want to know what's worse than sin? Failing to acknowledge and confess it. Sin by God's grace can be forgiven, but left unchecked, sin isn't going to fix itself. With that comes the small tangent. Many of us, some of us, maybe it's just me, need to be more gracious to others in their shortcomings. We sometimes get so surprised when we find others in the body are not perfect or need some grace. It's like, wow, who would have thought that we're not all perfect and we actually need the grace of God? It's kind of crazy, right? Imagine going into a hospital and being surprised that someone there is sick, or going into a gym and finding someone overweight working out. Yet sometimes we do that. Our church should be the best place, with some discretion, to talk about our problems. Not hide it because we're afraid of what someone else will think. Which brings me to my second part. If you want to strengthen a brick wall, you're going to have to do a lot more than just pull out some bad bricks. In fact, if you pull out a bunch of bricks out of a brick wall, you may find that you will not have a brick wall. This kind of goes without saying. At this point, the, pra- the sermon is practically writing itself. The wall must be filled back in. For us to be complete, to be whole, to have real peace, means that we must fill ourselves with the grace and the presence of Jesus. And spoiler here, you're not going to be able to do that by yourself. You're going to need to depend and rely and trust the love and the grace of God. So what end is this all for then? Yes, partly for our own benefit, but more importantly because we are called to be holy, to be godly, and at peace. And when we are living faithfully and like Christ, we continue to be God's peace in this world. The same 
kingdom peace brought by Jesus 2,000 years ago is in us now. And until Christ returns, Christ is living and working in us to that end. In Advent, we remember and celebrate what God has done in order to look forward to God, what God will do. And to remember who we are to be now. Christmas, we celebrate that the Prince of Wholeness came and was broken so that we, by him, can have peace now and be reminded of our call and our duty to be God's peace in a broken world until Jesus comes back and brings final peace. In closing, I'm going to, and as a benediction, I'm going to read Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.